0: Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley and with me is Derek Spest. Hey, hello. A third week in a row, we've got a special guest on the show. That's awesome. He's not in the studio. This is uh remote. Remote this time. We're in the studio, but he's not. He's, the, he's what, like a couple hundred miles away? Through along? the magic of technology. The magic of the internet <laughs> and Skype. This is cool because we do Skype with John Van Berger but he's got a bit of a different setup with the microphone and all this uh, through his laptop and the whole deal. But this is the first time we're actually doing a Skype call from a, an iPhone. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be cool because if it all works out, it just opens up even more doors for people to come and exactly. talk to us from yeah. everywhere. So on our show this evening, we have David Bain.
1: How you doing, David? Doing really well, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Not a problem. Thanks for coming on. So David Bain, for those that don't know, uh, he is the main man behind the Backcountry Canoe Symposium that's held every year in Waterloo. And he's also the main man behind the Ontario Winter Camping Symposium, which has been going for, what, a couple of years now?
1: Yeah, we're coming up on our third this November.
0: Yeah, so, uh, and you do a lot of... Now, you're only into canoeing, correct? Uh,
1: no, I, I got into the... Winter camping symposium because I was a complete newbie and wanted to try winter camping. Right. And long story short, I I'm a sort of learn from others kind of guy. So I uh, went on the internet and checked for some place I could go to learn about winter camping, and uh, it was either Minnesota or Vermont. And as a proud Ontarian who ran a canoe symposium, I thought, you know, we need one of these things ourselves. So. Uh, I started up the canoe symposium back or sorry the winter camping symposium back in uh twenty seventeen and uh and have been winter camping ever since based on the things that I'm learning along with the other folks who attend so it's been a real boon for me, I have to say
0: cool so as opposed or er, uh, in terms of paddling, do you do kayaking, stand up paddle boarding, or just
1: canoes oh, sean sean buddy. Uh, <laughs> fans dirty dirty words there my friend (laughs) i am a a dedicated canoeist um could have something to do with my my physique and how it does or doesn't fit well with a kayak and getting in and out of a kayak i don't know but uh i've always been a fan of the open boat and uh so yes uh the uh, single blade uh canoe all the way for me uh
0: Total For purist.
1: Sure. I, uh, yes, at this point, I'd have to say that's true, yes.
0: That's cool. That's cool. We'll, we'll forgive you on that one. <laughs> we support all kinds here. Yes. Double yes, blades, single blades, long blades, short blades. <laughs> 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 We're an all-inclusive paddling podcast. <laughs> um, the first time I ever heard y- about you was, I think it was the second uh canoe symposium uh i had just come from woodland caribou uh, provincial park did a a long trip through there and you were looking for speakers and someone said hey you got to talk to to david bain he's looking for speakers and i was a speaker at that uh that year at uh, the canoe symposium
1: that that's correct you were at the 2014 symposium with uh dave hadfield and uh Preston and Nancy, the canoe dog. Yeah, and Brad and Wayne Jennings. Yep, it, it was quite a lineup.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's been downhill ever since. <laughs> 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 no, actually, it, it's pretty cool to go every year and and uh, listen to the different uh, discussions on different types of canoeing and where people are going. And 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 it's not just canoeing. There's lots of things that revolve around. Like what canoeists do and stuff and like the outdoors and environment and fishing and painting, photography, yeah. all that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, we try to um have a broad spectrum. I am sorta of sitting here looking back over the people that have spoken over the last um eight years. We're we're gonna be coming up on our ninth annual this uh coming April, and uh it is quite a range. And I mean we've had sort of the people you might expect we've had your your kevin callens and your hap wilson's and your uh, phil cottons and and you know the sort of the the who's who of the the paddling fraternity or the canoeing fraternity in ontario but we've also tried to include um people who are first time speakers so we've we've tried to get people involved who uh have not spoken before i know Uh, A friend of the show, uh, Camper Christina, she actually did her very first speaking at the 2017 uh, Canoe Symposium. That was her very first presentation in front of an audience. And of course, she's gone on to do great things uh, on social media and and presenting at the Outdoor Adventure Show and so on. Uh, And then we also try to get, um, as you mentioned, not just canoeists, but people who canoe and build on it and do other things so um uh, a local gentleman uh uh for instance uh i'm just looking back through my list here to see I gotta pick it up make sure i say his name right uh mike monahan uh, mm-hmm. spoke at our very first or second symposium and quite a photographer and he used the canoe and the canoeing trip as a sort of a jumping off point to for his photography, which I, I was very impressed by. Right. Uh, and we've also had people like Jeff McMurtry who started Jeff's map and is now with unlostify. And I mean, you, you could almost say Jeff is uh, equal parts sort of canoeist and cartographer. And so, you know, that was an interesting uh, take on, on the uh, something to have at the canoe symposium and and sort of expose people to all the ins and outs of creating the kind of maps that people are looking for, especially in the 21st century now with uh, GPS and all the other things that are available. So yeah, yeah, we do try and have a wide range. We've even had some musical acts. Um, Dave Hadfield played for us one year uh, and did some of his uh, canoeing and outdoor related music. And uh, yeah, it's just been a wide, wide range.
0: Yeah. Uh, Dave Hadfield actually was right on right after me. And, uh, I mean, we still chat once in a while on, uh, like on, uh, Facebook and whatnot. And I guess it was about three months ago. Somebody had said, wait, you know, like Chris Hadfield's brother. (laughs) I said, yes, I'm that close to the astronaut. Yes. I, I know his brother, (laughs) but yeah, he's, he's a good musician. And, uh, um, well he sang, he's he's he sang a song about the jack pine, which we yes. had talked about on, uh, in my presentation about, because we went through areas with big fires mm-hmm. and, uh, so yeah, it's really cool how everybody just sort of can feed into one another as well.
2: Yeah. as a, Like the central theme of canoeing or just outdoors and paddling and, and that's sort of the central core and then people kind of branch off and, and bring their own talents and, and strengths to to paddling like you see with jeff mcmurtry with cartography mm-hmm. and and uh, stuff like that it's, it's interesting to see how people use this venue to you know to, to increase their own pleasure of the backcountry and and their own skills and and what they bring to it
0: yeah uh, stephen coots canoe polling. Oh,
2: absolutely yes yeah
1: yes i was i was gonna bring up stephen he was certainly one of our uh recent um presenters he, he presented in 2018 yeah and, and I think that was his think, first time uh, right what's that sir i
2: think that was his first time presenting
1: it it may well have been mm-hmm. yeah um, i think so and he i think caught a lot of people by surprise he, to me his was the perfect presentation he's an unknown to a certain extent i don't think a lot of people are familiar with uh steven he doesn't have a, a a large profile like some of the people who speak and his topic was, I think, to a lot of people, uh, a real revelation. Yeah. Um, the idea of standing up and poling a canoe, which, I mean, I'll even admit for myself, being a, a history teacher and, I mean, someone who's studied uh, uh, Canadian history and the voyageurs and, and the, the lumbering trade, and, and, I mean, I've seen images of people poling boats Uh, and rafts and so on forever and I was aware that down east they don't have a lot of lakes they they tend to travel up and down rivers uh, and I was aware they did it using poles but I just never really put the two together with the hobby that I enjoy canoeing and kind of got around to the conclusion that it might be a good skill for me to learn uh, because there's a lot of areas in Ontario where you can take advantage of that. I mean, living in Southern Ontario, most of our rivers are unpaddleable for much of the year, but you could pull them. yeah, and, uh, It also eliminates the the need for a shuttle, has all kinds of advantages. So uh, I, I really enjoy and I appreciate uh, presentations like Stevens. Um, and, and it's interesting, every year, there's always sort of a headliner that people come to hear. Somebody that they think they're going to enjoy, and invariably they do, but there's always sort of a dark horse yes, that and jumps and catches people by surprise. Exactly,
2: and, and he—I uh, talked to him before his presentation. And he was—he was very nervous. He was kind of almost scared to go on stage, but then he mixed like experience with humor and. And uh, the seriousness of, of the being outdoors. And he brought it all together. He's like the dark horse. It was like, oh, that was fantastic presentation yeah. that he put together.
1: It certainly was. And one of the joys for me after the symposium is listening to people talk about who their favorite speakers were. And you don't often get a consensus because you try and aim for something for everybody. So you'll have somebody say, well, I really enjoyed so-and-so. And somebody else says, well, I... I was more interested in this. And to me, that's a good thing uh, because it means you're reaching different people with different needs. But invariably, there's one person that stands out. And I think a great example of that would be last year. We had a really strong lineup last year. And uh, some of the presentations were, were really outstanding. Um, Kevin did his once around Algonquin yep. uh, and brought in Andy, his buddy, And I mean, a lot of people really got a kick out of that. And yet, we had a first time speaker, a young lady from uh, Taylor Staten camps, uh, Kate Barrett, who talked about a 50 day canoe trip with a bunch of young ladies from Lake Superior to Algonquin. And everybody talked about that presentation afterwards. Uh, It was just a highlight.
0: Yeah, that was, I remember that one. That was pretty cool to, to see that. I mean, and it was, yeah, all ladies that were going. And um, they had a blast doing it too. And I remember the it was just because guys can do it doesn't mean that girls can't do it, you know. And yeah, get out there and do it. There's no reason you can't. It, it was a, it was a very good presentation. So do you you're I take it you're lining up your speakers for this coming year still?
1: Yeah, we we have some names, we have some ideas. Nothing too hard and fast yet. Um, some years it comes together really quickly, and other years you kind of, you know, you, you, for whatever reason, you people have to get back to you, and, and you don't have anything uh, sort of too hard and fast lined up yet. Um, so right now I'd have to say it's pretty wide open. I've had a couple of conversations with a few people, but um, we do try not to repeat, so a lot of people say, well... Will you have Kevin again? Will you have, you know, Jim Baird again? Will you have so and so again? Uh, And usually the answer is, you know, we try not to keep going back to the same well all the time. Right. Yeah. Skip
2: a year or two and.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think right now this coming April is a bit up in the air. Um, I'm looking forward to sort of digging out some unexpected uh, presentations, maybe that uh, introduce people to some new new talent, as it were, and uh, just, you know, try and, uh, once again, try and come up with something that's going to meet everybody's needs. I often joke it's a little bit like uh, DJing a wedding reception. You know, you have to play music for for Aunt Betty, who's 89 years old, <laughs> and you got to play music for the 20-something crowd, uh, and Betty doesn't want to hear rap, and the 20-somethings don't want to hear tie yell ribbon. So, you know, you have to, uh, kind of, um, make sure that there's something for everybody and, uh, yeah, it can be quite a juggling act sometimes.
0: Oh, definitely. Now I know you had toyed with the idea of, uh, making every year a new theme year. Are you still sticking with that or?
1: Um, yeah, we tried that last year, sort of the theme of, uh, destinations. Um, all of the speakers last year, uh, the, the, instead of talking about say, um, how to pack for a canoe trip or something like that. They all spoke specifically about a destination. So PJ from friends of Tomogamy, PJ Justison yep. talked about paddling down the river that I can't wick a gigamow, <laughs> uh, river. It's something along that line to James Bay. And uh, Jeremy shoot from Guelph talked about paddling from Guelph to the Atlantic ocean with his family in stages. And, of course, Kevin did the Algonquin, and Marion Sontag talked about Killarney. So uh, that was an attempt to do a theme. Um, so yeah, it's it's something we may try again. Right. Uh, I I don't know. Do you do you guys uh, have themes you want to shout out there? Uh, alcohol would probably. <laughs> <be one. laughs> yeah,
0: you'd need more than one day for that one. <laughs>
1: yeah. We could, you know, uh, I know Kevin has done his uh, his whiskey tours and so on. So, you know, we could uh, try something along that, along that, that line. line. <laughs> yeah. I, I I, are you uh, fans or are you familiar with the CBC program, The Debaters?
0: No. I've s- no, they bring yeah. they
1: bring in comics and they yeah. give them topics that they have to uh, be for or against. So it's always ridiculous stuff. But I really wanted to toy with the idea of maybe having a great, you know, Killarney versus Algonquin debate as to which Ooh. one's better. Yeah. You know, that, I thought the crowd could get really uppity about that one. You know, we could really alienate some people.
2: Like uh, you get some known people up on stage and you can do a right. uh, sort of like a panel and, yeah. You ask, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, well, check them for thing. weapons first. Yeah. <laughs> and don't let them throw anything. Yeah. Uh, I have had people suggest that um, you could change up the format a little and maybe uh, have speakers in the morning and then in the afternoon have more of a panel discussion yeah. where the audience can ask questions. Uh, we've had people ask if there's a way to do breakout sessions. Um, so, you know, it, it really is something that there's room to tinker with the format. And, um, I think that, uh, it is organic enough that, uh, if we see something that's going to give people something extra that they want, uh, we might be able to make that happen. So, um, like I said, right now it's a little bit up in the air. I would expect that the next one will be similar, you know, five or six presenters and, uh, of course, the vendors, which we haven't really mentioned, but uh, uh, you know, we do have uh, some great vendors that show up, and I think a lot of people uh, appreciate having sort of the hands-on time to talk to uh, different experts on different types of equipment and so on, um, out in the lobby before oh, yeah. the show, and and so on. So uh, that's something that we are constantly sort of trying to bring in new and different. Um, vendors in addition to the ones we already have Uh, and also just information like the at the last one for the first time we had Point Grandin uh, Provincial Park come down yes and uh, I thought that went very well
0: Uh, and uh, I've actually been there already this year
1: yes I I saw your posts on that what's your impression
0: um their their campsites need a bit of work um they do have you you go from the parking lot and there's an automatic from the parking lot to the lake 1200 meter yes, you portage. Start with a portage. <laughs> and yes. but they do say that they like they have a truck with a with a trailer and they will take you down another road so that you don't need to portage to go there. But you do have to portage back to your vehicle. Yeah. Right. Um there was there, we were told that there was only motorboats on one lake and then the one morning there's three of them rafted right in front of our site we're I'm trying i'm sitting there on my chair having a nice commune with nature you know listen to the birds and then somebody caught a fish so three of them rafted up they got their radio going and loud loud talking and everything and they were there for a good half hour and before they moved on it was just like you know really guys like you see me here and uh, I mean, that's not really fault of the park, but... Um, well,
2: it, it, they they can't claim that it's uh, motor-free when they I mean, you got do that. allow motors on all of the lakes. Yeah,
0: yeah. and
2: uh, no, but you know what? For the most part, it was it was quite the neat
0: park. Really nice. The scenery was was astounding. And you I've get, seen get,
1: pictures, yeah. Yeah. And it does look very interesting.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I would definitely give it another try. That's for sure.
1: So we were glad to have them come down as a first-time... Uh, information booth and uh, you know it, it's always nice to get some of these of course friends of tomogamy have always been there since the start yeah uh, they've been at every single symposium and uh, yeah, I, I really uh, value having sort of people that are in the in the I want to call it an industry but in the um, hobby uh, out there giving people the information they need to plan their trips and uh, because of course they bring their their sort of overview map of tomogamy with them, the trip planning map that would cover your entire wall if you lived in a, a smaller house. And, uh, I mean, what a great thing to look at to sort of say, Hey, I think I can go through here and I can head up there. And it just, you know, there's a lot, I'm sure of, uh, looking at it over the winter and talking about, you know, what if, what if, uh, and let's try this. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's good to have those folks there and people like John, Who's your uh, foreign correspondent? Of course, <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. with his, uh, you know, uh, first responders work that he does, and and so on. His uh, oh shit, emergency kit, yeah, uh, and uh, which of course he'll be presenting at the winter camping symposium coming up in November. So he'll be one of our speakers, uh, talking about how to shift your oh shit emergency kit to be more winter oh shit emergency kit kind of thing, yeah. which. Uh, I think is necessary for those of us that are new to the the hobby because uh, winter camping is just an entirely different animal uh, with a different set of emergencies that can come up. And uh, So I know I'm somewhat ill-prepared. Uh, I'm certainly not going to be doing solo winter camping anytime soon uh, based on my limited experience so far, but that's something I need to get under control is sort of the first aid end of it. And, and the same with uh, backcountry canoeing. I've never had to deal with a a large emergency in the back country. I hope I never do, but uh, I want to learn more about what's available out there and, and the kind of stuff that he has to provide. So it's it's good to have someone like John at the symposium as well.
0: Oh, definitely. Uh, now the 2020 canoe backcountry canoe symposium is Saturday, yep. April 4th. That's correct, I do believe. Okay, nine till four, nine a.m. till four p.m. Theater of the Arts Building, University of Waterloo.
1: That's all correct, yes.
0: Tickets are on sale already or not yet?
1: No, they will probably go on sale right after the Winter Symposium in November. I kind of try and do one thing at a time. Uh, So there's a little bit shorter window there for uh, you to pick up a ticket, Uh, but they are available online through the website, uh, Ontario Backcountry Canoe Symposium uh, website, which you can find at www.ontariobackcountrycanoe.ca. And you can also find us on Eventbrite and uh, that's where the tickets are available. Um, so yeah, they'll, we'll be getting those set up uh, probably the day after the winter symposium.
0: Yeah. And we'll, we'll post that on our Facebook page and whatnot so people can go buy them before. Cause you guys sell out every year.
1: Every year has been a sellout both for the winter camping and the, uh, the backcountry canoe. Um we had to move from 150 seat theater to 400 seat and we sell that out as well. So uh things, uh, have gone well that way for sure.
0: Yeah. And the next thing you know, it's going to be a two day event. Yeah. In a stadium. <laughs> yeah. In a stadium. <laughs> the Rogers Centre, I think, is <laughs> that day, so. so the Ontario Winter Camping Symposium is pretty much the same as the Backcountry Canoe Symposium in format.
1: That's correct. Yes. Um, so we started three years ago. This will be our third annual and, uh, you know, as I said, I just I started I started the canoe symposium because I wanted to meet people who shared my passion, and I found that living in Kitchener, I didn't know a lot of canoeists, uh, and I, I just wanted to sort of improve my ability to to be able to talk to people. And the internet back uh, eight nine years ago was sort of in its infancy, and and you know I wasn't a member of really anything other than uh, the the sort of the granddaddy, the myccr.com dot com, right? Uh, that was started by Richard Munn back as Ontario canoe routes. Um, so I was a member of that, but I didn't really, you know, have any sort of um, peer group that I could go to and learn about new routes and so on. So that that's what got the canoe symposium going. Well, the same thing with the winter camping. Uh, uh, I had a buddy call me up and he said. Uh, Dave, I, I know you mentioned to me one time in a conversation you'd be interested in winter camping, uh, and he was going through a divorce, and he needed some cash, and he had a, a beautiful snow trekker uh, base camp model tent and wood stove, a Nico Alaskan stove, and I met him in a parking lot. It looked like a bad drug deal. <laughs> uh, I gave him some cash, and I was the proud owner of a winter uh, hot tent and with no idea where to go, how to use it, how to use it safely, the whole nine yards. And so I came home, and like I said earlier in the program, kind of tried to Google to see where I could learn about these things, and uh, came up with nothing in Ontario, which to me was just a crime. And so uh, since I ran a canoeing symposium, I thought, hey, why not run a winter camping thing? And I think in 2017, as a if you want to call it a sport or as a hobby, it was really just starting a real growth spurt in Ontario. Yes, uh, I talked to people who go to Mew Lake every winter and which stays open in Algonquin for winter camping, and they say that you know four years ago you might have had twenty, thirty sites booked, uh, and then after the the 2017 winter camping symposium, not as a direct result, but just because the hobby was growing, all of a sudden they. They seem to double almost every year in this past year. I think they had 85 sites booked. So, um, you know, I kind of caught the wave at just the right time. I think that uh, winter camping is something that a lot of people are turning to because it's so frustrating and challenging now to find uh, close, uh, sort of near north places to do your canoeing in Ontario in the provincial parks. They're getting more and more crowded, more and more booked. And so people are moving to the shoulder seasons. And I guess winter's the ultimate sh- shoulder season. Yeah. And no, <laughs> and no bugs. And no bugs.
2: That's my favorite part of it.
1: I, I love that. No screen on a, on a snow tracker tent. That's exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? I've been uh, winter camping for a few years now, uh, doing the backcountry thing where you load everything onto a sled, you throw your snowshoes on and head mm-hmm. off into the woods with some buddies. And hopefully you come out on the following week still alive and all your toes fingers intact exactly. mm-hmm. um and then yeah and then i noticed everybody was uh doing these big meetups at like mew lake so they do the at halloween is a big one uh mew year's eve, yeah, New year's eve. and then the family day weekend um, Yeah, wild yes yeah winter in the wild weekend yeah so we we went there i went there well i, I bought actually bought my first uh, cause I've just been bumming tents off of people for years. So I bought my first, um, tent and, uh, stove and all, all that sort of set up. And I built myself a wood floor to <laughs> go car camping. Right. <laughs> Which was, Hey, that's, it's pretty awesome. Let me tell you. Yeah. And went to, to Mew Lake. Was that, I guess that was the the fam- first family day weekend. And, uh, that I went and set all that up and had a blast and then the following year, uh, my wife said, well, yeah, if we can get an electrical site, we can throw a little heater in there to sort of keep the temperature down until the stove warms up, the whole thing. And uh, now she's coming. She's been out at, at she came out with a, at Halloween. She came out at New Year's and then at uh, Family Day uh, weekend, she was out and she's having a blast. And I'm like, okay, this is good. <laughs> it's, it, it's definitely a difference uh, between trying to get everybody out canoe tripping and then It's total different experience. All new gear, and like I say, when you you were talking about your vendors, you have at the canoe symposium. It's great to go to the winter camping symposium, and you've got winter camping vendors there, and they're selling like uh, Tim at uh, from Canadian uh, outdoor uh, Canadian uh, what is it co op?
2: Canadian outdoor equipment. Outdoor uh, outdoor equipment equipment co op. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Uh, he Tim's there, and he's he's got all his his tents and stoves and stuff and he'll, he'll answer questions and they got people selling anoraks and, you know, all of the clothing, stuff like that. And is is great to be able to talk to people and ask questions.
1: Yeah. I think that information is, uh, the key in, in both canoeing and winter camping is it, being able to access information. And as, as good as the internet is, I, I think that there's no substitute for just talking to real people and, mm-hmm. uh, because often you don't know what you don't know until you start talking to people and they bring up something Oh, you go, gee, I never thought of that. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the human element is an important thing. And I, I sometimes, uh, and I hope it doesn't sound too hokey when I say it, but I talk about the, the symposium family. I'll, I'll say, you know, so-and-so is now a member of the symposium family and, uh, And I really do view it as a a sort of a large fraternity of people that share a common interest. And uh, it's nice to have a day when we can all get together and sort of celebrate and and learn and and enjoy uh, talking about uh, these kind of things that seem so uniquely Canadian, if that doesn't sound too hokey. I mean, uh, can't think of anything more Canadian than winter camping, except maybe winter camping and then playing a little bit of shinny on the pond or something that might just add a little bit of Canadian to it. But yeah, it's pretty Canadian activity.
0: Well, at Mew Lake, they do have the big ice rink there.
1: Absolutely. Which yeah. is getting
0: bigger every year, apparently. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah it, it's, um, and, and the, the nice thing, again, my partner, Susan, I mean, who knew she was going to like winter camping. It, it just didn't strike me as the kind of thing she was going to enjoy and she likes it more than I do. I think, which uh, blows my mind, but makes me tremendously happy. Because if Susan's happy, you know how it goes. Everybody's happy. So. Yes, yeah. And this past February, uh, at the family day weekend, it went down to minus thirty-one one night,
3: <laughs> and uh,
1: she didn't complain at all. Which awesome. I mean, I'm a happy man. Let's face it.
0: Well, we got for for car camping when we go winter camping. We got those things called the disco beds. So they're like bunk bed cots. And so I'm at the bottom and like the stove is like an arm length away. So in the middle of the night when it's dying, I can open up the door, throw in more wood, close the door, put my arm back in the, the sleeping bag. And my wife is on the top bunk and she's like, oh, can you like open the vents or something like that? Because hot air rises. Yeah, it gets and hot And I'm there here by the floor and I'm like, ooh, this is getting chilly. So I'm sure she's chill. No, she's up there bacon or buns off. <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's all a
0: learning experience. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. I, I know Dwayne and Marion Sontag tell a story about getting up to uh, use the facilities and whenever you get up, you should stoke the stove. Mm-hmm. And I guess the two of them had gotten up fairly close to each other and both had stoked the stove. And oh. one of the kids had said, sort of stuck his head out of the sleeping bag and sort of said, make it stop. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can really crank those uh, crank those stoves up and get a lot of heat going there. Oh so, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, our our stove. I bought a stove that was bigger than needs to be for our tent size. We got we just got a ten by ten square yeah. tent, and but I figured if we get into it and we upgrade to a bigger tent, I don't need to upgrade my stove as well. Yeah. Using the old smarticle particles, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, there's days where I just okay, I'm just gonna fill this thing and. I don't, we don't need to wake up again. And he's just like, oh. yeah, yeah. You, you can't get back to sleep. Cause it's like a sauna. Yeah. And
1: unfortunately well, are you, there, you there's... actually literally are sweating in your sleeping bag. Oh yes. And then yeah. you chill. Yeah. You know, cause it gets cold. So yes, you can overdo it. Of that, there is no doubt.
0: Yeah, over and over and yeah. over again. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's not like a typical in your home fireplace, a uh, wood stove where you can stoke it and it's airtight and it'll burn all night. This thing is, it burns hot for an hour and then everything just kind of dies off. It dies <laughs> off. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: So the Ontario Winter Camping Symposium this year is Saturday, November 23rd, right? No. That's, that's, that's correct. That's, is it that correct. correct? Okay, because I got 2019 yeah. written
1: down here. Yeah, no. And
0: well, it is 2019 this year, buddy.
1: Oh, it is 2019 this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. time flies. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, again, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Theatre of the Arts Building University of, of Waterloo. Are there yes. still tickets available?
1: There are. We're about 50% sold out right now. Okay. So what invariably happens is uh, they go uh, pretty steadily. And then once people figure out that it's fall and they start to think about winter camping. Exactly the tickets sell out incredibly quickly Right. and then spend about a month telling people that it's sold out and <laughs> answering emails about whether I have one ticket for my brother and two for my cousin and so on. Uh, but yeah, we're thrilled that it does sell out, but you're right. It, it, it will sell out and it'll sell out pretty quickly. So uh, if anybody out there listening is interested in trying it out for the first time, or if you've been before and you, Think, oh, I was just waiting to pick up my tickets. Well,
0: pick forewarned
1: and forearmed, yeah. Uh,
0: www.ontariowintercamping.ca. There's a link there that'll send you to Eventbrite where you can buy your tickets, correct?
1: That is correct.
0: All righty. So I guess at this point, you do have your speakers for oh, this yeah. year.
1: Yeah, we've had our speakers actually for quite a while on this one. Um, we're bringing back Jim Baird.
0: From uh, Alone? He-
1: from Alone, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that Jim Baird. Yeah, um, that Jim
0: Baird from Alone?
1: <laughs> Jim's uh, presentation when he crossed the Ungava Peninsula and talked about it uh, at the first symposium was a, a big hit. Yeah, And then some of, some of the, your audience may be aware that uh, he's sort of a professional full-time adventurer. So uh, not this past winter, but the winter before, he uh, crossed Baffin Island, Right. In the winter time with his dog, uh, Buck. And so he's going to come and talk about that trip, which I'm just I'm looking forward to. Uh, mostly because I know there's absolutely no way in hell I would ever do that trip. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, or anything even remotely like it. So I'm just living totally vicariously through Jim Baird. And that's fine by me. Um, and then sort of on the other end of the scale. Uh, we've got uh, people like Danielle and Bill Gardner. Uh, And if that name sounds familiar to anybody who's a canoeist, uh, Danielle is the artist-in-residence up at Killarney Provincial Park, and Bill is the astronomer-in-residence. And Ah. they practice those things both in summer and winter up in Killarney. So they'll do a hot tent trip uh, with their kids And she'll be doing her painting. He'll be doing his nighttime photography, night sky photography. Uh, So they're going to be talking about sort of, again, that whole how can you build on your winter camping experience by working some of your other activities into it. So in this case, art and uh, nighttime photography. And I've seen some of his stuff. It is really Mm -hmm. amazing. And hers. And uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing all that. Um, Of course, we have John, your foreign correspondent uh, with the... uh, the winter oh shit emergency kit, yep. uh, which I, again, I think sort of checks all the boxes as in, you know, that's really necessary information for everybody. Uh, but at the same time, John's just a great speaker. And I think, you know, he's going to be fun to listen to. And I think it's going to be a, a, a good time there. Um, Mercedes Rogers is coming uh, again. She spoke at the uh, Backcountry canoe symposium a couple years ago about How Young is Too Young to Take Children and Infants uh, Canoeing? And she's going to do a very similar presentation because uh, she and her husband uh, started taking their children hot tenting, uh, I think, when the children were less than a year old. Um, So, you know, and, and I know some people might sit there and go, well, I don't have kids or my kids are in their 30s or whatever. I don't need to hear that. But, you know, we all have a niece, a nephew, a grandson, a granddaughter, uh, friends, kids who we want to introduce to uh, this hobby that we enjoy so much. And so I think there's a lot of questions about how young is too young and how do you make it happen and what's the safety, uh, you know, around axes and stoves and everything. And uh, I think it applies to all of us, really, because at some point or another, somebody's going to say to you, Hey, you know, I, I think I'd love to try winter camping, but I've got kids and I don't know if it's safe to take them. And, you know, so you can say, well, you know, I just heard a presentation by a lady who took her, her four month old into tomogamy and, uh, you know, this is what she had to say. And, and we can encourage those people to kind of get their kids out and into the, the back country, which is kind of the whole point of the thing. Yeah. Um, and this year we're only going with five speakers because I wanted to give Jim a little more time. And I have another couple that I'm very excited about having, um, uh, Dave, and I'm going to mispronounce her name. Just let me double check so I don't say it incorrectly. But uh, the couple that are uh, have the company Lure of the North are going to be there coming down from their uh, homestead up uh, in northern Ontario. Um, Kylan? Kylan? Kylan. Yes. Yeah. I, I, and I apologize, Kylan, if you hear this, um, I'm somewhat bad with names and I didn't have her name sort of staring me in the face. I have lure of the North on the, uh, <laughs> yes. on the list, but not their individual names. Um, but um, they are a wonderful young couple who sort of live off the grid and they take people on expeditions in the winter. I know they uh, did an expedition. I think this past winter up the, misanabe river um and they took uh i don't know a large group up there um and the one they're going to talk about is actually a a trip they did a couple of years ago that they're going to repeat i believe this coming winter which is a like a trans tomogamy expedition where they're going Ooh. to go from one side of tomogamy oh. to another um so i'm really looking forward to hearing about yeah. that um and they'll they'll have a booth there as well where they're going to have uh because they also market um, various things like uh, kits to make your own moccasins and mucklucks and uh, anoraks and, and all that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, and they run workshops on that stuff as well. So uh, it's kind of a win-win. They're going to be able to come down and, and sort of market their business, but also share with us, uh, you know, just sort of the amazing lifestyle that they've chosen to to follow and uh, just watching some of what they do on, on YouTube. Again, it's sort of like Jim Baird, uh, I'm just glad that I can live vicariously through people like that, uh, doing stuff that I'd love to do if I was 20, but uh, I'm not going to be doing now at 55. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Well,
0: Jim Baird in Baffin Island, uh, you, you wonder, would you want to deal with the mosquitoes in summer or the frostbite in winter?
2: Or oh, the constant wind,
0: yeah. yeah.
1: I'd take the frostbite. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it sounds like you got a good uh, good lineup for the symposium this year.
1: I'm I'm very excited by it. I think every year, uh, again, if people have been listening since the start of the show, there's always sort of the people you know you're going to enjoy, and hopefully there's always a sort of a dark horse speaker, and it can be different for everybody that sort of speaks to you in a way that you didn't expect really uh, to to be drawn in by, or they just somehow something about what they're talking about strikes you. Uh, as something you hadn't thought of before they get you thinking in a different way and sort of motivate you to try something new or different or try something that you thought you knew how to do in a different way um and i think that's that's sort of what the the symposium is all about so uh you know i'm very excited by it Uh, november's you know gonna be here before we know it it's still technically summer but uh it's amazing how time flies and uh we're going to be, uh, and some people, as you mentioned, will have already been hot tenting up in uh, Mew Lake on for Halloween. Yeah, uh, and they sometimes have snow up there. I'm sure for for that event. So, uh, if the Farmers Almanac is correct, this year's supposed to be a good old fashioned Canadian winter. Oh, yes. a nasty one. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't Heard. So,
0: well, last well, past, year we uh, last
1: year was supposed to be a good one, mm-hmm. and we got a bunch of ice and rain and things so you know it, it was it was a little frustrating uh all of my backcountry winter camping except for one got rained out so i did get one in my very first backcountry trip to go home lake up in uh, uh up north of barry but uh yeah, i'm looking forward to being able to get out on another one this year
0: hopefully a few of them this year yeah Well,
1: I did retire for a reason, so yes.
0: (laughs) You retirement kids. Yes. Uh, Okay, so yeah, go to OntarioWinterCamping.ca, click the link, get your tickets, and get them now because it will sell out again. So let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, David is going to talk about Georgian Bay Canoe Camping, which should be a good one. Be right back hey this is sean Rowley, and you're listening to paddling adventures radio to find out more about us check out our website paddlingadventuresradio.com you can also find us on facebook instagram and twitter current and past episodes of our podcast can be downloaded or streamed from itunes google play and the episode page of our website if you have any questions comments or ideas for the show we would love to hear from you so drop us a line on facebook or our website thank you for listening enjoy the show Welcome back. Uh, if you're just joining us, which I hope you're not, I hope you've been listening since the beginning, we're talking to <laughs> David Bain and he's talked about the uh, Backcountry Canoe Symposium and the Ontario Winter Camping Symposium. Um, he is the main man behind both of those. So we said we were coming back, we're going to talk about Georgian Bay. Now when I talk Georgian Bay or think Georgian Bay, I'm thinking the French River Provincial Park, which I did a little bit of that, uh, Killarney Provincial Park. Yep. Which, if you're listening to most people, it's silver, silver.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's silver peak or the crack silver peak or, or the silver crack, crack.
0: Unless you're Derek, who it's has a limited edition, the silver, <laughs> the silver crack. <laughs> the silver crack.
2: <laughs> Thanks for remembering that. Not a problem, buddy. I'm here for you. <laughs>
0: uh, in Killarney. yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's only special times You're there's the silver crack. You're enjoying this and... way too much. Oh, dude. You, when, you, when you mess up like that, we're on that like like quite on rice, buddy. Until
2: you guys started laughing at me, I thought there was that's what it was called. I don't know. I didn't the silver crack.
0: I was... <laughs> so why are they laughing at me? <laughs> Where are you climbing this week? The silver crack. Okay, whatever. Uh, Philip Edward Island, which you and Mikey have been to. Yes. Uh, there's Manitoulin Islands up there, Kilbear Provincial Park. Uh Tobamori, which is down and around, which we've been to kayaking and doing the shipwrecks. Yeah. Massasaga uh provincial park, which I'll never go to because I think Massasaga, I think rattlesnakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Snakes. Uh and when I'm thinking Georgian Bay coastline stuff, I'm thinking big rocks, I'm thinking wind and waves, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking a lot of kayaks. Yeah. But David is gonna talk about paddling the Georgian Bay coast as a canoeist thinking you now david you say it's it's pretty much underutilized by canoeists
1: yeah i think that um, most ontario canoeists uh you know they have their algonquin park uh trips that they've done or or they lean towards a algonquin or killarney or uh you know some of the more uh traditional destinations but um much like with camping these days getting really crowded and you people are moving to the shoulder seasons. Um, I think that Georgian, the Georgian Bay coast uh, is kind of embraced by kayakers and sea kayakers, but I'm not sure a lot of canoeists are really making much use of it. And, and that's a shame because really when, as you mentioned, people think of Georgian Bay, they think of big water, open water, uh, a lot of wind, uh, dangerous conditions, but uh, my experience has been, uh, and the people who sort of introduced me to the Georgian Bay coast, sort of took a lot of uh, pains to point out that a lot of the the canoeing you can do there is quite sheltered, and uh, uh, you know is really basically in behind the barrier islands that are along the Thirty Thousand Islands and and up towards Killarney. and that really you don't have to expose yourself to the to the conditions in the open bay. Unless you want to on a particularly calm day, right? Uh, and and so uh, you know, knowing your weather is certainly a big safety component. Uh, but there's a lot of potential out there uh, on the Georgian Bay coast for people to uh, to take advantage of it, and a lot of crown land. So it's a question of not having to book um, in advance and and sort of being able to take advantage of it when at short notice and so on. So it, it is, uh, I think, a place that a lot of canoeists could take advantage of if they were aware of the potential. So that's something that uh, I was hoping we could talk a little bit about uh, and uh, sort of introduce people to some ideas and they could do some research of their own and maybe uh, try out a couple of these trips.
0: Well, I think the the thing with the Georgia Bay, as, as far as I see, like I say, Killarney, so everybody's going into Killarney, and you're not really heading out onto the bay per se. Uh, French River, you can do the. We've done the loop through there, and you get out in the bay for a little bit. Um, but it, it's it's a lot of the the access to it, like where are you parking your car, where are you launching, and all that sort of thing.
1: That's right, and uh, the the thing is, there's there's all kinds of access to Georgian Bay that is. Um, I don't even know how to describe. It. Is it casual or lesser known? Um, there are a fair number of books you can read about it. There's there's titles like uh, paddling and hiking the Georgian Bay coast by uh, Cass Stone or kayaking Georgian Bay by uh, Reynolds and Smith. Um, Tony Hartig wrote a really good one on the French River called Canoeing the River of the Stick Wavers, and Kevin Callan has his uh, Killarney and French River guidebooks, and even. Hap Wilson did one called Canoeing and Hiking Wild Muskoka, which you think, well, Muskoka, but Inity covers uh, some rivers that run down to Georgian Bay, uh, like the Moon River and so on. So th- there's a lot of information out there. And you've touched on sort of a lot of the, the really important stuff right away. Uh, canoeing Georgian Bay is about where am I going to park my car? Um, right. You know, because it, it, nobody wants to just park their car beside a road somewhere and come back in three days and find it either gone or vandalized or, you know, sideswiped or whatever. So uh, if you do Philip Edward, there's an established parking lot that's run by um, Killarney Provincial Park and you pay your permit and you park there. But um, for a lot of these other trips, it's sort of word of mouth and, hey, you can park at this marina or uh, you know, at the end of this road, there's a little, uh, crown land parking lot off to the side. And so that's a big part of it. Is, do you have a, a secure place to park your car? And then how do I access the bay and how do I access it in a way that is safe and sort of protected from the wind so that I can enjoy the trip, uh, even in windy conditions? I don't want to be out in the open bay. I really want to be hidden in behind, uh, some islands and so on. Uh, because really once you've got your parking and you know how you're going to access the bay, it's all about choosing the right weather and sort of keeping an eye on the, either the Marine forecast or the standard weather forecast and just make sure there are conditions that you can handle. But really, if you're used to going to say Algonquin and canoeing on Opiongo, that's bigger water than I've ever gotten into out on Georgian Bay, um, it, you can be in some very sheltered areas of Georgian Bay and not have to deal with anything like trying to paddle across Opiongo when there's a good wind going. So, right. um, and that's really a goal for me. Cause I'm not a, a super confident sort of Bill Mason. Let's get out in Lake Superior and paddle in the big swells kind of guy. I mean, I'm not, that's not my thing. So uh, I loved going out to Georgian Bay because it is, it's is—it's sort of the opposite of everything that Algonquin is. To me, Algonquin is about trees. That's—you know If I close my eyes and picture Algonquin, I see trees coming right down to the edge of the lakes. A lot of the campsites are sort of shaded and, and tree-covered, and you can sort of barely see them. They don't get a lot of sunlight. Georgian Bay is the exact opposite of that. Georgian Bay is about huge skies and sunsets and really sort of a sense of space and Derek when you were out on Philip Edward you would have experienced that
2: it was it was amazing and uh we were very lucky to have uh, very fair weather at uh, we ne- the wind ne- never really came up uh we spent half the time on the outside of the Philip Edward Island half the time on the inside of Philip Edward Island and it was it was a it was a spectacular place and I was really amazed by uh when we did some hiking on Philip Edward Island, it's, it's basically, a, it's just open rock. hmm hmm Yeah, it's, there wasn't much, I would have expected more earth to have built up over time and whatever, but I guess since the last glaciers crossed over, it just left it barren with random trees.
1: I, I think that's part of it. I think some of the area, like the French River, has been logged and never recovered yeah. because the soil is so thin. And I think really the winter ice pack does a real number on some of those smaller it's offshore island yeah. Yeah. scours and clean kind of thing every year. But that that's the beauty of it is you feel like you could basically send, set a tent up anywhere. Um, you know, you go out there, it's deceiving, though, because invariably your tent is not quite as flat as you would like it to be. Yes. Um, <laughs> I've gotten very good at shoving clothes under one edge of my sleeping pad just to sort of try to level things
2: out. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, And, you know, I even take along. I take nylon stuff sacks that, you know, we all get with our sleeping bags and stuff. And then since we don't tend to use them in our canoe packs, they just lie around. I take those with me and I put rocks on them and stuff when I'm out there just to hold the tent down securely in case the wind comes up because you sure aren't driving any pegs in out there. Um, it's a totally different uh, kind of camping experience for sure. Um, so I, I just wonder if I can share a couple of sort of uh, destinations with your audience that uh, oh, you they could look into. Um, the nice thing about Georgian Bay coastline is that a lot of it is still crown land. And uh, so one of the easier trips to do is to go up to Snug Harbor, which is just north of Perry Sound. And there's a, a small island off the coast called Franklin Island. Uh, which is Crown Land, and the beauty of it is the largest crossing you have to get to Franklin Island is going to be about three or 400 metres uh, of oh. water. Uh, it's really close in. Uh, there's an inland channel, uh, Derek, very similar to what you paddled up between Philip Edward and the mainland, uh, but even narrower. In parts, it's probably down to 100 metres or so, and uh, it, there's a lot of boat traffic for sure, but if you go – during the week or, you know, on the off peak seasons, uh, the, the yachts are, have gone home and, uh, Franklin Island is just a beautiful stunning place to start sort of experiencing Georgian Bay. It's a real great beginner destination. Uh, there's lots of good camping, even on the protected leeward side of the Island. And there's good parking in snug Harbor at the Marina. Uh, I don't know what the going rate is these days, but it's nothing uh, extreme. And uh, it's just a great short little paddle and a great place to go and spend a weekend uh, sort of finding out what it's like to, to get out into Georgian Bay. Um, we spent a weekend out there once in September and watched a thunderstorm, a lightning storm come all the way across from Michigan. I'm sure we could see it so far away uh, just coming across Georgian Bay. And the sunsets are amazing. Uh, it's just a, a stunningly beautiful place to, to get to and again three, four hundred meter crossing that's protected by Franklin from the prevailing winds. So you really are never out in the open bay. And the sky out there is just it'll blow your mind, honestly. It is so different from camping in your sort of traditional um uh, Ontario park where trees kind of dominate the landscape because out there it's bare rock. Uh the rock is smoothed by glaciers and, and wave action. And it's just a, it's almost like a different planet, for sure.
2: So it makes me wonder about uh, now a complication that kind of pops to my mind because it's uh, sort of a natural function for me as it is for everyone. But with uh, with bare rock, is there established campsites and maybe thunderboxes, or are we trying to use a chisel to dig <laughs> <tittle laughs> a hole? <laughs> is that what the you lake.
1: call it now, chisel? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah the the there are no established marked campsites. Okay. Uh, at least the last time I was yeah. at Franklin Island. Um, so you're right. There there is soil on the island, um, but so you not tend much. to put your tent on bare rock. Yeah, but you shouldn't have to travel too far to practice good um, hygiene and disposal and leave no uh, trace. And, and you know, yeah. again, there there's sort of a your established method of digging a cat hole into the active layer of the soil, uh, covering up when you're done uh, in either burning your toilet paper or packing it out, or there's various, depends on the level of no trace you want to practice. Exactly, yeah. Um, But I would, I I agree with the point you're making, because I do see people camping on islands, some of the smaller sort of bare rock islands, and I I wonder that exact thing. It's like, hmm, guys, where are you sort of practicing your hygiene? Exactly. You know, you're not leaving enough of a buffer zone, really. So, But Franklin Island is a large enough island that uh, you should be able to practice uh, hygiene there. It's going to be acceptable, but great question.
2: Yeah, um, I'm looking at Google Maps now, Franklin, and I can see it's got a, quite a fair amount of... Uh, it's a rocky coast with a fair amount of tree cover.
1: Exactly. But you can see
2: some of the smaller islands just bare rock.
1: Yeah, just completely bare rock. Yeah. And it, the attraction there, of course, is to set up your tent because it seems Mm -hmm. like you can set it up almost anywhere. Yeah. But again, then you do run into where you're going to perform your basic functions. And, uh, I think we all have to understand that in this day and age with the amount of traffic that some of these, uh, fragile ecosystems are experiencing from kayakers and boaters. Absolutely.
2: Yeah.
1: That we don't want to abuse or overuse, uh, some of these fragile environments. So, it's something that you want to uh, be aware of. I think that um, as long as you are sort of making sure there is some soil within a reasonable distance of where you pitch your tent, uh, and you don't need a ton, but you do want to be back away from the uh, water, and you do want to have enough of an active soil layer that uh, that the uh, nature can sort of take care of what it needs to take care of, for sure. Right.
0: Now, my big thing with, with the Georgian Bay area is when you're talking the big rocks and, and whatnot, is you have to know how to set up your tent without pegs. Yeah. Yes. Because not everybody correct. has freestanding tents. Yeah. So you have to know how to you know get your, your rocks and where to tie them out to and stuff like that, right?
1: Yeah. And as I was saying, you might want to take some extra equipment that you wouldn't normally take along. So for instance old nylon stuff sacks that you can tie Mm. to guy lines and set rocks on them or even put rocks in them. Right. Uh, hold your tent out. Uh, uh, but yeah, it, it can be an interesting challenge in, uh, getting your tent set up in a way that's satisfactory to, uh, to what you, uh, are, are happy with and, and held down enough that if the wind does come up, uh, your tent doesn't end up in the bay, which has happened to uh, a buddy of mine. He sent his up, and uh, turned away to get his uh, stuff out of his canoe pack, and his tent ended up in Georgian Bay uh, (laughs) twice.
3: Oh, wow. Sort of (laughs)
1: those fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me situations. It's like the first time we helped him uh, fish it out the second time, yeah, he was on his own.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And the third time he was camping under his canoe.
1: (laughs) 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 The third time he was going to be in it, and we were going to be tossing him in, that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. So Franklin Island would be uh, a place I would definitely recommend uh, people would even think about perhaps getting started on Georgian Bay uh, trips. Uh, Another place, and and, uh, Sean, I think you mentioned you've been to the French River Delta. The nice thing about the French River Delta is there are so many routes through the Delta that are sort of different from what people normally do. Uh, A lot of people will tell you, okay, you're going to be starting at Hartley Bay Marina which is a great place. They valet park your car for you. Wonderful people there, always very friendly. Um, And then you head down to the bay through one of uh, two or three kind of established routes. You can go down the Pickerel River, um, the South Pickerel. You can go down the main channel, uh, and there's uh, sort of different little routes within that. But there's also some routes that, that are really worth pursuing that that are sort of off the main uh, sort of the main route through the delta and one of them is called the old voyager channel right. and uh, the old voyager channel is the kind of place that if you have an active sort of appreciation and imagination uh, and love Canadian history it almost makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up because it is apparently the channel that the fur trade brigades uh, preferred to get from the French River down to the Bay. It was their preferred route through the Delta, which means that every who's who in the Northwest Company and the Hudson's Bay Company went through that narrow little channel of water. And in yeah. places, it's barely 8 to 10 feet wide. Um, there's a section of it called La Dal en Francais. And, uh, which means the drain pipe, and it's just a long, thin, uh, straight section of the channel that's through some glacial rocks that are all polished and smooth. And it's just an amazing place to take a canoe, now, let alone think about taking one of these 36-foot Canoe Metra master canoes that they had full of uh, trade goods. And, and back down in there, they found um, artifacts in the water where some of the canoes have tipped and oh, dump the yeah. load and they haven't been able yeah. to recover everything. So back in the, in the uh, early sixties, uh, somebody got the idea to go in there with scuba gear and they, they recovered a bunch of artifacts, which are now in the French river visitor center. Uh, and you can check them out there. They're sort of a, they've also created like a diorama of what it would have looked like underwater and stuff with all that stuff there. Right. Um, and, and that leads you right down and out onto the bay. Once you get through that old Voyager Channel, and, and you're once again you're out under this amazing sky and uh you know there's trees and there's some soil but it's mostly bare rock and uh you know sort of tent rings of rocks where people have been there before you and have found rocks to hold their tent down yep. and uh and it, it, there are established campsites out there because it's part of the French River Provincial Park um but it, it's just a fantastic landscape and it's it's really uh, so different from your typical um, Ontario sort of canoe camping Algonquin Park experience again because of the lack of trees, the beautiful rock, and, and just the amazing, and the good fishing, I yes. might add. Because you can get back in there in places where motorboats can't go. Uh, we were hauling walleye and stuff out of there one one year. It was just incredible fishing.
0: Well, what I like about that area is... If it's a nice day, you can go out and past the rocks Absolutely. and paddle, a lot yep. in the bay. But if yep. it's windy, there's enough there's enough little channels and like back channels and stuff you that you you, you can still sneak through yeah. going down da- going down the coast. But yep, you've you've sure. always got these these big rocks and everything in the way blocking some of the wind from you.
1: Yeah, it's it's really quite safe, and as I said, it, it's very much safer in my opinion than trying to cross a big lake like rock lake or opiongo lake in algonquin in a high wind uh because there's so many um you know things blocking the the buildup of the waves uh and yet 100 meters out into the bay you wouldn't want to be out there you know you're Mm -hmm. dealing with three four foot waves and and everything but uh yeah if you stay in the delta itself uh things are quite sheltered um if you paddle a little further uh i got to get my east-west correct here. If you paddle east from the delta, there's even a little collection of islands called the Outer Fox Islands. Not to be confused with the Fox Islands, which are up by Philip Edward Island, but the Outer Fox Islands are at the end of a little channel called Fox Creek, which is a beautiful way to get from Hartley Bay down to uh, Georgian Bay. There's only three little portages. We were in there one time in Fox Lake for almost a week, and we saw one canoe, uh, which in a park like French river provincial park is frankly kind of incredible, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. uh, you're so far off the beaten track and nobody goes in there. The fishing was great. Now the one drawback to French Creek is the Perry sound 13 fire went through that area uh, right. last summer. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of pumped to go back there and just see how it's recovering, you know, and uh, sort of watch what the the recovery process is gonna look like. Um because certainly the rock will look the same. It's it's a question of what happened to the trees, you know? Yeah. Um now Derek, your favorite uh friend, the rattlesnake, the massasauga rattlesnake, that would be Sean's
2: favorite. He loves Oh, I'm sorry, snakes. Sean's favorite. He oh, yeah. love I love snakes. snakes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so Sean, I got a little story for you about a buddy of mine. We were out on this trip down the Voyager Channel, and we camped down near the, uh, the Fort Channel, and uh, we had a bear come and visit. Uh, there was a huge blueberry patch, and so we had a little conference, and we decided that the bear deserved to have the blueberries, and we would move. <laughs> and so we packed up, Fair enough. and my buddy decided to take one more visit to the, the commode, and he took his toilet paper and went across a, a ridge, and he came running back, because the bear had moved and was sitting right beside where he wanted to use the facility. So uh, <laughs> he was literally scared bleepless. Yes. <laughs> um, so anyway, we packed up and we paddled to the main channel mouth. And by this time, he had to go uh, number one. So he <laughs> hopped out of the canoe and walked over to a juniper bush and peed right on a rattlesnake. <laughs> <laughs> that he was in a thousand. toilet day. Wow! So the bear awesome.
0: was next to the bathroom. Yes, which answers the age-old question: Does a bear?
1: Yes. <laughs> this question one was answered. blueberrying in the woods, but yes, having his
0: lunch while sitting in the bathroom. That's <laughs> right. right. Uh, yeah, we were when when my son and I were down on uh, the French River there. Uh, the one point in time we were down, we actually camped a couple nights down on the bay. And, uh, I turned around and there was a little baby rattlesnake going through our sight. And I'm just like, yeah, Mm, where's (laughs) the rest of that mess? Where's mama?
1: (laughs) (laughs) We had one morning, uh, that it was so cold. Uh, we had established a, a toilet facility back maybe 75 yards away from the tents. And I was walking back to it and I saw this stick lying on the ground out on a bare patch of rock. And it turned out it was a rattlesnake and it was so cold that morning that it was basically comatose
3: oh, and mm. it was
1: just lying yeah. there. It wasn't curled up. It was all stretched out. And we sat and watched that thing. It had to take more than half an hour before it warmed up enough that it, uh, was willing to coil up and sort of wander away. But wow.
3: uh,
1: yeah, there, there's certainly a few of them out there. And, uh, I mean, I've never known anybody who's had an issue with them, but they, they can startle you if you don't know they're there. Yeah, uh, They do a pretty good job of telling you they're around if they're uh, not happy with your presence, that's for sure.
0: Where's all your gear? I just left it. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: I heard a little rattling and I jumped in the canoe and left it. Yeah. <laughs> left the kid there as well. <laughs>
1: well, kids like to play with rattles. So. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> when
0: when you talk in open skies, uh we were there and the one night it was nice, clear. We're looking at the stars. So we walked out and there was a big, big spit of, of rock went straight out. So we decided we just keep walking and walking and walking and walking to, to the end of it. And as we look up and we look north, uh, we saw the, the Northern lights, yeah. which was, my son's never seen them like that. And it's just yeah. like, yeah, you know, that's just cool. Seeing all the stars, And yeah, there's no trees blocking the way, nothing, no No light pollution.
1: No, no, you, you get almost 180 degrees of sky. Yeah. uh, Which is just something that is hard to find in a lot of places. I mean, if you live in Southern Ontario, everybody knows that Godridge and Kincardine are known for their sunsets. And in fact, people drive there just to, to watch the sunsets. They're kind of famous but you get that same sunset up on the coast of Georgian Bay, uh, except there's nobody around. Mm-hmm. You know, you got it all to yourself. And uh, it's really a special, special thing. Um, the other way to get down to the bay uh, is to try one of the rivers. Um, so, I mean, the French River, obviously, that's, you know, that's sort of the most famous. But um, there are other ones. One of them is the naiscoot River, N A I S c-o-o-t Scoot river uh and the cool thing about the Scoot river is there's a couple different ways to get into the delta of the Scoot river um you can head up there uh really from the highway uh, you can take a 529 side road off the 400 highway 69 combination uh, and uh, 529a will take you all the way down to the bay and there's parking down there Uh, And you can paddle up in the delta of the Nayskut from there, and literally you're not out in the bay at all. Or you can come all the way down the Nayskut River um, from 529 or even from the highway, uh, I believe you can park up in there. Now, some of that land belongs to the First Nation, and I believe they'll, uh, you know, you can get permission to park there and you can pay them uh, to park there. But the the paddle down the is it's quite a going river. There's no white water to speak of, really. Uh, and once you're down into the delta, again, it's just this enormous maze of of islands. And uh, you know, you get the odd cottage, but it's not uh, really highly developed at all. Right. Uh, and and is certainly an area that uh, I mean, if, if this was Greece or Italy, people would talk about this area as being, oh, you got to go to the such and such coast. You know. Right. But we don't. Even have a name for it we just call it the Georgian Bay Coast you know, <laughs> 30,000 islands but I mean really it's world-class you know this is world-class scenery and world-class uh, canoeing destination and again you get down the Nescoot into the delta of the Nescoot. you don't have to go out into the open bay at all and uh, you can head up the coast to Foster Island uh, by tucking in the back channels and and so on, and not really be exposed to the wind or, or anything like that. Uh, and Foster Island is another great uh, de- destination to head to. You can get there going south from, uh, I think it's Bing Inlet uh, or Point of Barrel, one yep. or the other, and uh, you can get there going north from the Scoot. And, and, you know, either route is, is certainly uh, worth doing. Um, I mean, there's, there's so many ways to get there. You can go down the Moon River. You can go down the Gibson River. You can go through McRae Lake. will take you out to the bay. You can go there, get there through Go Home Lake, um, uh, Mass Provincial Park. Right. Uh, you get out into the bay, uh, and there's even sites you can reserve that are out on the bay. Um, so really, it, it's, a, it's something that I would really encourage people who are maybe looking for an alternative to your traditional canoe tripping uh, in Ontario kind of, algonquin sort of style canoe trip um because often this will be more canoe camping uh there's not a lot of portaging maybe even no portaging involved but ironically often the guys i go with we just go out and set up somewhere and just sort of hang out for three or four days and don't really move around too much because uh it's just such a beautiful area we just kind of explore the area right around a base camp
0: well, when you uh, go to, to the Massasauga Provincial Park, and you start looking at that area, there is so much individual little waterways. Yeah. That, yeah, all you have to do is set up a base camp, and you can explore for ages.
1: hmm Yeah, and, and again, you're, you can be in Georgian Bay and not even really be aware that you're in Georgian Bay. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like it's just another lake, and it leads on and on and on, and you can paddle, and then all of a sudden uh somebody was telling me there's even like a fish restaurant out there somewhere you can go and visit caters to the yachting crowd but they'll take canoes too. um and you can head out there and check that out they have ice cream and everything and Ooh. It, it's yeah <laughs> sean perked up <laughs> <well-guessed> ice cream <laughs> <laughs> it's an essential part of any canoeing destination absolutely there. yeah so I I've been blessed. I mean, I've been going up to uh, the Georgian Bay coast one way or the other since I first went to Killarney in in 1994. And uh, I mean, there's been some big changes. We used to go to the French River before it was a park, right? Uh, and you know, it, people just camped wherever they wanted. And I mean, now those have kind of become the established campsites in the French River Provincial Park. But now you got to book and you got to pay. But, you know, there's so much of the coast that's still crown land, no reservations needed, uh, and it's safe to get to uh, as long as you practice some some common sense uh, and check the weather. Make sure that you, uh, if you're not a confident uh, paddler, you're going to stay in areas that are protected by the islands, stay in the back channels. Um, and you know what? I, I've got two or three other ways of heading down to the bay that I'm not even allowed to share with people because I've been sworn to secrecy on them. But there's <laughs> certainly things, if you can sit for days just looking at Google Earth, looking oh, yeah. for ways to get down to Georgian Bay, you know, from Highway 69. And they're there. And often nobody uses them. And they're just an amazing thing to check out and, and enjoy. So we've <laughs> certainly had a great uh, 25-year run. Uh, the group of guys I canoe with checking out all the little areas back in there and we call ourselves uh we call those rocks the bones of the earth because they're so old and uh so we often joke that we're sort of like canoe paleontologists you know we're out there (laughs) checking out the bones of the earth because we like uh rock camping on rock if it rains it dries really quickly you don't track a lot of pine needles into your tent uh and as long as you got a good sleeping pad it's it's nice and clean and hard and you know, it's it's just a beautiful thing to uh, experience, and and the skies are incredible during the day and at night, and, and you couldn't ask for more, really. It's it's just an uh, ideal place to to canoe.
0: Yeah, and I mean, if you're used to places like like Algonquin, like you say, the you go into a campsite that's surrounded by trees and there's some cover and there's some nice pine needles all over and it's dirt and nice and sort of cushy as it were and this is a total different type oh, yeah. feel to it altogether. You know, you're seeing everything. You're not seeing like trees nonstop and um now when it comes to uh Georgian Bay, I mean, everybody goes to Algonquin they want to see moose, they want to hear the wolves, hopefully they'll catch a sight of of a bear or something. What are you seeing out on Georgian Bay?
1: Yeah, we uh we've been very very lucky. Um we do see bears. There are bears out there, and they swim, so they'll be on all the islands, or at least they can be. Uh, So you have to practice, you know, clean campsite the same way you would in Algonquin or anywhere else. Right. But you see a lot of other species as well. Like, you see a large number of mink uh, and otter out there. Um, We've been fortunate enough to see uh, foxes, a lot of foxes, because, of course, there's a lot of mice and rodents out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, You do see the snakes, of course uh the rattlesnakes and and the garter snakes uh there's a lot of different species of turtles uh you see blandings turtles out there which are uh uh a lesser known and sort of not endangered but threatened species uh we saw a huge one uh, the last time we were up on Philip Edward uh it it looked like a small snapping turtle i'd never seen a blanding turtle that big um but so you do see a lot of uh and birds you see a lot, a lot of, of birds a lot
3: of yeah
1: yeah Yeah. no it's a very interesting and if you're into um rocks and minerals you can get a lot of different uh glacial intrusions so you see a lot of different um rock formations and and just the the whole thing some of the rock looks like it's uh it's just hardened recently from lava flows and so on and other places it's all polished and um you get these little ponds that people would pay tens of thousands of dollars to have in their backyard kind of as part <laughs> of their life, you know? Um, and, and here they are just for your enjoyment, you know, sitting out on a, an Island off, uh, the coast of Georgian Bay. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the rock formations and the wildlife and everything are all there and it's certainly, uh, it certainly is a, a great place to, uh, to experience some of that stuff as well besides the skies and the, the, just the beautiful scenery in general.
0: Yeah. I think the only two things really that you need to wrap your head around are setting up a tent with rocks (laughs) instead of pegs and making sure you know what the weather is Yeah, and not, not having, you know, you don't want to be out there and panic when, when high winds come up, you know, you want to be prepared for that sort of thing. But uh, like I say, is when you you don't need to go actually out onto the bay. There's enough back channels and and stuff to paddle and explore that you can spend a lot of time there. Yeah, and and that sure. that's exactly what we did when we were up there. Um, yeah. So it's yeah, definitely it's it's definitely a place that I think is. Like it's, you say, underutilized.
2: It's definitely a place that I want to revisit, and uh, this this conversation has really kind of invigorated the idea that I w- There's areas in Georgia Bay that I want to go back and revisit, and I have a kayak now, but I still I'm still game for doing the canoe thing and uh, out with the family and the kids and stuff like that. So I, I'm. It's uh, one of those things that I. That's a goal for the future. It's definitely a place to explore. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, there's so many areas and and. There's enough little towns and stuff that you're not too far. For, you know, if you're with kids, you're looking for safety oh, yeah. and stuff like that. So,
0: well, I mean, you can paddle right into Killarney. Yep. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. The town of Killarney. Yeah. Grab yourself some fish and chips and some ice cream <laughs> and ice cream. <laughs>
3: it's
0: all about the ice cream, man. No <laughs> snakes and ice cream.
1: <laughs> well, you that's may awesome. Have to take your, your ice cream with your snakes, but <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, what yeah. if they got like rattlesnake ice cream? There's got to be one it's like thing, moose, somewhere. They got, they got moose tracks.
2: Yeah. There you go. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, definitely, I think, like I say, we'll, we haven't been there in a couple of years, but I think we're definitely, well, I guess Point I was there this year. Yes. Yeah. Right? Now uh, French, I want to go. Yeah. French River. Uh, I definitely want to go back to the French River. Killarney is, I think Killar- Killarney sounds like it's becoming the new Algonquin.
1: Yeah, it's, yes. it's getting pretty tough to get into. You, start- yeah. but you got to go to the north end of the park, go up to Nelly Lake and Grace Lake. You come in around through Espanola and come down yeah. on the north end. Uh, it, it's, you know, a little less populated up there. But you know what? For all the headaches you can have trying to book a site in Killarney, you can just drive up and pay your parking permit and park at Chickenishing Creek and paddle out to Philip Edward Island and not have to book anything. So,
0: yeah. Definitely some perks to doing it that way. Uh well, thanks for uh,
2: all that information, David. Um do you got anything else to add there, Derek? I don't. It was uh it it has uh like I said, it uh really sort of lit a fire under my butt to uh, start investigating trips into that area. And I, I kind of always have the fallback of Algonquin Park and I, I, I'm constantly reminded by interviews and talking to people through the podcast that really the, I I need to spread out and, and look at other places.
0: Well, Algonquin Park this year is having a lot of low water issues. And low water. and there's, Boil your water yeah, and algae yeah, blooms yeah, and stuff like yeah. that. So people are going to have to start
2: looking elsewhere. Oh, absolutely. And Georgian yeah. Bay is right there. Yeah, Clarney, George Bay, Tobamory. Yeah. We're there, buddy. <laughs> Spanish River. Yeah, that's exactly it. Which is where I'll be next week. That's too far
0: north for me. It's Whitewater too.
2: <laughs> so,
0: could always go down paddle the Mississippi. There and you, you do go. Do the Great Loop. <laughs> oh no, I can do that. <laughs> There's lots of lots of paddling uh, still in Ontario to do. Well, David, thank you very much for all the information. Uh always a pleasure. Like, like we say the the Backcountry Canoe Symposium is in April next year. Uh the Ontario Winter Camping Symposium go to ontariowintercamping.ca get your tickets now. Yes. Because they will mine. get sold out. Yeah, you got mine too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Remind <laughs> me to forget to pay you. Uh yeah, some good speakers this year. Um we got to talk to Jim Baird about uh sponsoring buck. I uh, want to do that. That'd be we fun. We got to do that. That'd be that'd be huge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll buy us food. Uh, again, thanks, David Bain, for coming on, and uh, we'll. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you again soon and get more information out of you about some different spots.
1: Sounds good, guys. You take care. Keep you doing do. the good work. Ah, thank you very much.
0: People seem to like us, so I <laughs> we'll guess we'll stick just... around for a bit. We're we're only here for the beer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, If you do want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can listen to the uh, the, uh, podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Player FM, and all your favorite podcasting download sites. If you go to the episode page on Paddling Adventures Radio, you can download or stream directly from there. Check out our YouTube channel, and if you are interested in... Uh, participating in our guest blog page send us an email and we will uh, what your idea is for a guest blog and uh, we'll probably tell you well write it up and send some pictures <laughs> uh, thank everybody for listening this week thank you very much uh, I'm Sean Rowley
2: and I'm Derek Specht. we'll see you next time